And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports after a long <clears throat> sabbatical. Uh, it's got to be, well, let's see. We are no longer broadcasting from the studios in downtown Brooklyn since we have moved up to Westchester, and that was in late April. So let's see. Let's say May, June, July, August, September, October, November. About seven months since our last show. Um, and, uh, more figured there was no better time to do a new show, uh, from the Westchester studios here than now, since there is a ton going on in the world of sports. Um, we've got Met stuff. And before I forget, that was on a promise by fine young cannibals off their first album. And, uh, we'll start there with the Mets, uh, Steve Cohen, New owner, got here last year and promised the fans that uh, he was going to spend money. He's going to be aggressive. Um, They were going to hire the best people. Uh, They would be competing for a World Series within three years, and it all went horribly wrong this first year, right? Uh, Underperformance by Lindor, by Conforto, injuries, McNeil, Conforto, uh, injuries to DeGrom, to Carrasco, to Syndergaard, um, you know, Lots of guys, pretty much everybody performed under what you would have liked them to, other than maybe Pete Alonso um, and uh, Jonathan Villar was was a was a revelation as a utility guy. Um, but you know James McCann, big free agent acquisition, the catcher, awful. Uh, Nimmo was good, but he was hurt a lot as well. So anyway, first year went went horribly wrong. Um, but. In the last, and then you had the whole fiasco with uh, Zach Scott and with, uh, oh, I can't even remember the other guy's name now. Um, it doesn't matter. Two GMs, one got fired for uh, sexual misconduct, sending illicit texts to a reporter. The other got fired after he, he was found that passed out in his car drunk. Um, absolute clown show. So, you know. No, no, no change since the Wilpon era, right? None. Uh, I mean, Cohen did link Lindor to a big contract extension last year after they traded for him from the Indians. Uh, Lindor had a miserable year. Played a, played, got better as the year went on, but overall had a miserable year. He had the whole thumbs down to the fans nonsense with he and Javi Baez, who the Mets idiotically gave up one of their uh, you know, promising prospects, Pete Crow Armstrong, for Javi Baez, who basically just swings from his heels. Every two seconds, um, you know, look, talented player and, and, and actually a savvy player, you know, good base runner, good defender, um, but just his approach at the plate is just unconscionable. It's awful. And uh, anyway, Mets fans, uh, d- don't worry. He's not coming back. He signed a six-year, $140 million contract with the Tigers, so he can go have fun winning 75 games a year there. Uh, but uh, so it was pretty much a wretched first year by all accounts, under the new regime of Steve Cohen. Uh, and then now, after the season, they fired Luis Rojas, which I didn't have a problem with. Uh, got, you know, oh, they, they, they made the Mets did typical Mets things, right, with, which they fired Chili Davis, their hitting coach, you know, 25 games or something like that, 30 games into the season, which is, you know, that's about the smallest, lamest move you can make. Um, and, you know, look, I understand that apparently Sandy Alderson needed to be part of the equation 
when it came to Steve Cohen getting approved by the other owners in Major League Baseball and and the, the, the league office and the commissioner because for some reason Sandy Alderson has this unearned reputation of having some sort of gravitas and uh, being some sort of sage. I mean, Sandy Alderson's tenure with the Mets, folks, and I've said it on this show many, many times, mediocre at best. I mean, look, I don't want to rehash old history too much, but I can't help myself. The best year they had, which was 2015, which is now already six, going to be seven seasons ago, right, when they made the World Series, that he dumb-lucked his way into that. Remember, the team was bad all year, had great pitching, no hitting. His big free agent acquisitions in the offseason were, uh, who was it? It wasn't Gary Matthews Jr. It was John Mayberry Jr. Um, and... I mean, and it was was a horror show. The Mets lineup was a joke. Then at the trade deadline, remember, they were going to trade for Carlos Gomez. They were going to trade Zach Wheeler and Wilmer Flores for Carlos Gomez, who who was not any good. Then, thankfully, he didn't pass. The one time the Mets crack medical staff actually showed up, he didn't pass their medical, so the trade got got jettisoned. Then he was going to trade for Jay Bruce, who was okay. You know, and meanwhile, the Mets ended up signing him the next year. Um, but that fell through. And then finally, he traded for Cespedes. And Cespedes basically saved the whole season. Now, to be fair to Sandy, he did trade for Kelly Johnson and Jose Uribe right before Cespedes. And those guys were huge. And then he did get Addison Reed after the Cespedes, uh, with the, with the non-waiver tread de- de- deadline after that. And Addison Reed was lights out for the Mets as an eighth inning guy that year. But my point is, that was dumb luck. They went on a magic carpet ride. Cespedes carried that team all the way to the division that year, basically. So that's Sandy's best year. It's his best year. So for whatever reason, he needed to be part of the package. And all the same clown nonsense happened again last year under Sandy Alderson's supposed sage leadership, his supposed steady hand, which there's been zero of since he's been with the Mets. Awful. Awful. So things were not looking good. And then, you know, he's supposedly president of baseball operations. They were supposedly trying to get a replacement for him. They wanted to get this guy from the Brewers. The Brewers owner wouldn't let him interview. Uh, they talked to Theo Epstein. Epstein wanted nothing to do with the Mets. Um, they tried to get uh, Billy Bean. Billy Bean didn't want to leave the West Coast, supposedly. I mean, it, it looked bad. And then finally, they hired this Billy Epler, who was a GM for the Angels, had been fired. Um, you know, had some hits like Shohei Otani. Had some misses, like I think he gave Justin Upton that big contract. Um, but Billy Epler, prior to getting the Angels job, was Brian Cashman's right-hand man with the Yankees and was there for a long time. So that gives you, if you want to look at the glass half full, that gives you some hope, right, that maybe this guy actually knows what he's doing because Brian Cashman is one of the best general managers in all of baseball, maybe really in any sport. This guy's tremendous. Um, and you can say, oh, well, you know, he spends all the most, they spend the most money. Not always, not, not recently. And, you know, the Gio Urshela's of the world and the Aaron Hicks's of the world. And, you know, these guys that, that he's had a, a, a penchant for picking up sort of off the scrap heap and guys have turned out to be good players for the Yankees. You know, Cashman's done a very good job with that. Now, is he perfect? Of course not. No GMS. But so if you want to look at it, you know, from a positive perspective, if you're a Mets fan, Billy Epler, okay. You know, 10, 15 years, the Yankees organization under Cashman, 
pretty good. Um, and a baseball guy. You know, he's not Brody Van Wagenen. That's, that's, that in and of itself is a huge upgrade right then and there. He's not a former agent who has no idea what he's doing. So that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's a baseball guy. And he's young and he's hungry and he's got something to prove. So, you know. And then Steve Cohen opened up the coffers, started with signing two, you know, good players who should start for the Mets in Eduardo Escobar, should probably start at third base, switch hitter, good offensive player, beloved in the clubhouse, good team guy. And then Mark Kana from the A's, high on base percentage guy, you know, decent power, plus outfielder, right-handed hitter. The Mets are so lefty dominant the last few years, right? Escobar's a switch hitter. Kana's a right-handed hitter. Then they signed Star- Starling Marte, center fielder, um, good defensive player, um, you know, solid offensively, can steal bases, which I know is a lost art now in Major League Baseball, but, um, you know, his on-base percentage has improved over the course of the years. So, and, and the Kana contract was like two years, 25 mil, not huge. Same thing, I think Escobar was two years, 20 mil. So those are not prohibitive in any stretch, by any stretch, right? Those are the kinds of contracts where even if the guys, for some reason, you know, can't have bad first years, um, you could trade them and to another team, you know, the whole change of scenery thing. They're, you know, they're both, I think, 32, so they're not young, but they're not old. Same thing with Starlin Marte. Marte got a big deal. He got four years, seventy-eight million. But then, of course, the the big, the big Kahuna, the big tr- the big move was they landed Max Scherzer yesterday. Who? It's funny. Every supposed expert baseball writer, particularly in New York, said no way Max Scherzer comes to the Mets. No way Max Scherzer comes to the Mets. Well, Cohen basically said. How's $43 million a year, $7 more million a year than the average contract value, average annual value of the contract that Garrett Cole got from the Yankees? Uh, how's that strike you? And here's what I hope Steve Cohen, and we don't know what he said, right? Apparently he was involved. Apparently Steve Cohen's wife was involved. They sold a vision, this, blah, 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 blah. Here's what I hope the conversation went like. Hey, Max, listen. We've watched you kick our ass when you were on the Nationals for the last however many years. You are, if not the best pitcher, right up there with the best pitchers in baseball. We think our guy DeGrom is right up there too. Imagine you and Jake DeGrom back to back. You are a warrior god, as Tony Kornheiser likes to call him, and he is. Why don't you come here and show everybody that we're still relevant, that New York is New York, and help lead us to victory. And shut everybody up who said there's no way you'll ever come here. That's what I hope they said. And I bet there was some, some I, I think there was some version of that probably. And look, Scherzer is an absolute bulldog. He is great for the clubhouse. He'll be great for the starting pitchers. Um, I mean, look, he's 37. It's a three-year deal with an opt-out after two. Again, Mets fans, nobody should care about the money. Who cares? It's Steve Cohen's money. He's $15 billion. If he's not the richest owner in baseball, he's the second richest owner. I mean, it's insane how much money he has. Nobody cares, and he doesn't care. He's spending money. By the way, Mets are not done either. 
I would not be surprised if they make as of, uh, this is what, Tuesday, November 30th at 6 o'clock at night. I bet you the Mets make one or two more moves here because, you know, the, the collective bargain agreement's about to expire. Is probably going to like, there will likely be a lockout. Um, so guys want to get their money now. Who knows how long the lockout will last, you know, historically, right, labor strife between the Players Association and the owners has not gone well. Um, it's insane. I mean, look at the amount of money that guys are getting now. I mean, you know, four years, $78 million starring Marte, and you shrug. You're like, eh, okay, about $20 million a year, eh, no biggie. No biggie. Five years ago, that was unthinkable. Now that's it's the cost of doing business for an above-average player. I mean, it's crazy. But anyway, so look, if you're a Mets fan, you have to feel good. I mean, your team is better than it was last week. This time last week, your team is better. You've got a starting third baseman. You ostensibly have a starting right fielder. You definitely have a starting center fielder. It allows Nimmo to move to left where he's better suited. Nimmo is one of the best leadoff hitters in the game. He's on base percentage. He's always in the 400s. Tremendous. You got better defensively in the outfield. Escobar is okay at third. He's not great, not terrible. But he's not going to be any worse than who the Mets have been trotting out at third for the last few years anyway. Yeah, obviously you hope Lindor bounces back. Javi Baez just signed with the Tigers. He's gone. You assume McNeil will play second base. And I understand McNeil and, and Lindor had some issues last year. They didn't get along. They got in that little fight in the clubhouse during the game because of the way McNeil was positioning himself or not positioning himself. Uh, you you got to hope that whomever the new manager is. And by the way, so... Look at what the Knicks did with Tom Thibodeau. Look how that, and I hate the word culture. It's so overused in sports now and in business and in every other thing. But in this instance, it applies. Look at how instantaneously Tom Thibodeau changed the culture of the Knicks, right? From being a clown show joke, just like the Mets were, with all kinds of nonsense and drama and, and non-competitiveness, but also, again, all kinds of off-the-court horse shit to immediately demanding accountability, getting everybody rowing in the same direction, getting Julius Randle to buy in, and then everything else followed, right? The Mets need to make a Tom Thibodeau-type hire for manager, and that's either Buck Showalter. I don't know if Bochi would come out of retirement. I mean, to me, he's the home run hire, but I'll take Buck. Because Buck isn't going to take any nonsense. And you're going to have veterans like Scherzer and DeGrom. A guy like Alonzo will, 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 will definitely get in line. The kid wants to win. I, I could do without some of his social media stuff. Look, eh, you know, I'm old and cranky. Right, you got to get it. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're of a certain age, if you grew up in the 70s and the 80s, you're going to just have to deal with it. This is how the world works these days. These kids love themselves. They can't help it. They got to share every stupid thought that runs into their brain and post on social media. I mean, it's just how it is. And you got to just ignore it. And, you know, so I, I think Buck would be perfect hire for this team. You know, Nimmo's the right kind of guy. Marte, by all accounts, right kind of guy. Kana, Escobar, Lindor. Look, I'll say this about Lindor. He's another one with the you know new hair color every other day and the cleats and the whole thing, the flashy cleats, whatever. Um, I'll say this. 
He had a horrible year last year. He never ran from it, other than the stupid thumbs down thing, which was pretty infuriating at the time, I will admit. But he stood there at his locker and he fielded the questions and he said, look, I've not had a good year. And he didn't make any excuses. He deserves credit for that. I think his heart's in the right place. I'm hoping this is like a Beltron situation where Beltron's first year with the Mets was not very good. I think he went 15 home runs and 70 RBIs or something like that. Similar numbers to what Lindor put up this year. He didn't have 70 RBIs, but I think he had 15 home runs, 18 home runs, something like that. Spent some time on the DL also, just like Beltron did. I'm hoping, you know, the first year trying to prove that he's worth the money. New York, big spotlight, you know, came from Cleveland, much different, right? Beltron came from where? Houston. And then Beltron's second, third, and fourth years with the Mets, he was really good. I mean, Lindor's 28 years old. I, I don't think he just lost his game all of a sudden. So, Lindor, Alonzo, you know, McCann, not any good, but I don't think he's a problem from a personality perspective, catcher. I think Buck would be the perfect hire. All right, shifting gears. Let's move over to college football. Um, lots going on in college football. So tonight they're going to announce the rankings, the top four rankings for the college football playoff. I mean, Georgia's going to remain in number one. They're undefeated. They're killing everybody. They've got the best defense in the country. They're giving up, I believe. I, th- I think they've pitched three or four shutouts this year. I think they're, they're, they're giving up less than seven points a game, so less than a touchdown a game. As a matter of fact, let's take a look. So they could look at Georgia. Because, you know, look, I've, I've been a Georgia guy for a long time. Again, if you ever listen to the show, you hear me, you know, during the college football season, you hear me talk about UGA. I almost went there before I decided to go to Maryland. Grew up watching Herschel Walker, Buck Ballou, and Vince Dooley was the coach. Terry Hogue at safety. Always liked Georgia. All right, let's take a look here, shall we? Let's go to teams. But uh, Georgia's anyway, in any event, is going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game on Saturday. Um, Georgia wins that. They are in the national champ. They're in the, the playoff, rather. Um, I think even if they lose that, if it's a close game, I'd still say that they will be ranked in the top four um i don't see how they how they can't um because alabama is going to be ranked in the top four so if your one loss is a close game to another top four opponent um i I don't i don't see how you you can take them out of the top four it's stupid so but in any event all right let's go down georgia's wins here let's go down this let's go through their schedule First game of the year was against Clemson. Now, at the time, Clemson was preseason ranked number three. Georgia won in a defensive struggle 10-3. to Now, Clemson has had, for them, a disappointing season. Clemson also is 9-3, and and I think have won their last five or six games. So while this is not a vintage Dabo Sweeney Clemson team that is going to compete for the national championship, they're certainly not a, they're no slouch. So that's a very good win. Second game, okay, UAB, we throw that out, 56-7. Third game, South Carolina is not any good. They killed them 40-13. Killed Vanderbilt 62-0. There's one shutout. 
Arkansas, who was ranked eighth at the time, and Arkansas, I believe, has a winning record this year. They won 37-0. Then they blew out Auburn 34-10. Auburn just gave Alabama all they could handle in the Iron Bowl. Probably should have won the game. Poor running back for Auburn. Kid doesn't go out of bounds when they're trying to kill the clock. I mean, he goes out of bounds instead of going down inbounds. Stops the clock, gives Alabama enough time to come down and score a touchdown to tie the game, send it into overtime, and eventually win. Um, but they killed Auburn 34-10. Then they beat Kentucky 30-13. to Kentucky was ranked 11th at the time. Kentucky's probably overranked at that time. But again, Kentucky's not a bad team. I think they've got seven or eight wins. Killed Florida 34-7. Now, Florida's not any good. I think they're 6-6. Six and six. They're going to go to, you know, they fired their coach, Dan Mullen. Good riddance. Killed Missouri 43-6. At Tennessee, 41-17. Tennessee's not great. They're not terrible. I think they're 7-5. and five. Then they always, as they, like, they love to do in the SEC in late November, they love to have, have their Sisters of the Poor game. They pl- played Charleston Southern, 56-7. And then they beat Georgia Tech, who stinks, 45-0. So let's see. They've got one, two, three shutouts. Another game they gave up three points. Another game they gave up seven. Another game they gave up seven. Another game they gave up seven. I mean, the most points they've given up in a game this year is 17 to Tennessee. I mean, their defense is historically great. Now, their offense, eh, not going to set the world on fire, right? Quarterback, uh, criminy, what's the kid's name? Something Bennett. What am I thinking? What am I thinking? Stetson Bennett, right? You know, they, he's, he, you know, he's not going to be a, a first pick in the draft kind of guy. Probably won't even get drafted. But you know what? He, 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 he's a winner. He can run with the ball a little bit. He throws it fine. Georgia runs the ball well, right? They've got, you know, sort of a two-headed monster with, with Zamir White and James Cook in the backfield. Those guys have combined for, you know, 1,300 yards and 17 touchdowns. Um, you know, but Georgia wins with defense, basically, and running the ball, which is, is sort of weird in today's college football since, you know, you've got most teams playing the spread now, although Michigan certainly proved that you can run the ball and, 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 and win games as they ran it right down Ohio State's throat on Saturday. Um, but anyway, you're going to have Georgia – Alabama, um, I think Michigan now goes into two after their beatdown of Ohio State. And then the fourth team, it's a good, good question. I mean, I guess it'll be Alabama. Well, no, it'll be, it should be Georgia, Michigan. I guess. I mean, I don't know if Alabama stay goes to three. They stay at three. Uh, you know, I I don't know. It's tough to tell. But that'll be announced tonight. But anyway, the top four teams are going to be... Why am I spacing? I'm totally spacing right now. All right, so the top four teams are going to be Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati. Those are going to be the top four. And you got the SEC championship game. Again, Georgia loses. They're still getting in. Then that means Alabama's going to get in. Cincinnati's got to beat Houston, who's ranked like 23rd, I think. They'll end up being ranked or something like that in their conference championship. 
and then Michigan's got to beat Iowa in their conference championship. So, um, and by the way, can we please put to bed and put to rest any notion of Notre Dame getting in the top four, please? Notre Dame has played no one this year. They play a light ACC schedule, okay? They play absolutely no one. The best team they played this year was Cincinnati, and they lost to them, okay? I'm so tired of hearing about Notre Dame and this somehow they're going to get in to the, uh, the, the, the championship if everything breaks right for them. Are they going to play a whole new schedule that I'm not aware of? Because let's go down the list of the joke of a schedule that Notre Dame played this year, folks. Okay? You ready? And we'll get to Brian Kelly leaving and Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC and Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU in a second. Um, let's go to Notre Dame. Let's, let's take a look at their, their, their hard schedule. Okay. They beat Florida State first game of the year by three points. Florida State stinks this year. Okay? Stinks. This is not the Bobby Bowden era, era Florida State team. They're not any good. Okay? Then they beat Toledo barely by three points. A MAC team. Okay? So they, they won their first two games by field goal. And uh, explain this to me. Somehow style points count for everybody else but not for Notre Dame. Is that right? Then they beat Purdue. Purdue's okay. They're eight and four. Okay, whatever. Decent team. Not great. They beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin's decent. Not great. I mean, look, sorry. Wisconsin got off to a horrendous start. We're playing terrible football when Notre Dame beat them. Then they went on a little winning streak. They beat up on the, the, the dregs of the Big Ten, like Rutgers and Illinois. And then. When they had it all there in front of them to get into the Big Ten Championship game this past Saturday, they spit the bit and lost to Minnesota. So I don't want to hear about how great Wisconsin is. They're not. Again, Notre Dame lost to Cincinnati 24-13. They eked out a win against Virginia Tech. Again, Virginia Tech fired their coach. Fired Justin Fuente. They went 6-6. Six and six. They beat USC. USC fired their coach. USC stinks this year. They're 4-8. and eight. USC just threw a boatload of money at Lincoln Riley to come revive that program. You know, it's funny. I mean, when I was growing up, USC was the, if not the, one of the preeminent college football programs, right? It was running back you. You had, you know, the color and the pageantry, right? I mean, USC was legit. And then they had the, and then they fell on some hard times and they hired Pete Carroll and they won a national championship and lost that great game, the BCS championship against Texas and Vince Young. And they were relevant there for a while and they fall on hard times again. But USC ain't any good, is my point. Then they beat North Carolina 44 34. Again, North Carolina's not very good. It's the ACC. The ACC is Clemson and pretty much everybody else. That's the ACC in football. They beat Navy, big whoop. UVA, another team that's not any good, six and sixteen, big whoop. Georgia Tech's terrible. I just said, I just told you, Georgia Tech's terrible. Georgia blew them out, great. They stink. Then they beat Stanford, who stinks. Let's see. The teams that had winning records this year of the wins, Notre Dame's wins. I think two: Purdue and Wisconsin. Everybody else, five hundred or worse. Virginia Tech, five hundred. USC under 500, UNC 500, 
Navy under 500, UVA 500, Georgia Tech under 500, Stanford under 500. I don't know what Toledo's record is. Let's take a look at Toledo. But whatever. Toledo's a MAC team. I'm not, I'm not going to get all excited because Notre Dame barely beat Toledo. Yeah, Toledo went 7-5, third in the MAC. Good, good, great. What a great win, Notre Dame. Give me a break. Please. What a joke. I mean, it, it is unbelievable the, the, how they are held to a completely different standard than everybody else. I mean, I love hearing every week when I watch college football final, right? And I like Jesse Palmer, and I like Joey Galloway. I think those guys do a great job. Matt Barry, eh, 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 take him or leave him. Although I'll give, I'll give the guy credit. His voice is kind of annoying and grating, but the guy knows his college football. But um, every week I have to hear about how, oh, Cincinnati weren't, wasn't that impressive this week. They weren't that impressive this week, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. And, and again, why do the style points only apply to Cincinnati, but they don't apply to Notre Dame? I mean, we're going we're to give Notre Dame, not, they don't get dinged for barely beating a bad Florida State team or a MAC team like Toledo? No? And the fact, again, that the rest of their schedules, it was laughable? Give me a break. So irritating. By the way, I'm surprised Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU. I mean, look, he's getting, uh, and, and, you know, it's not like Notre Dame is poor. So I, I'm surprised. But he's getting basically $100 million for 10 years from LSU. Um, but why, why wouldn't you just stay at Notre Dame? They, they, they basically, again, they, there's a double standard, right? Notre Dame, somehow, the same rules don't apply to them because they're an independent, even though they pretty much are an ACC team now. In every other sport, except football, they are in the ACC. And they, again, they play a soft, light ACC schedule, right? They don't play Michigan anymore. You used to play Michigan every year. Don't play them anymore. Now they play Purdue. Let me break. Um, and, you know, you always get ranked higher than you should be if you're Notre Dame. Now you got to go to LSU if you're Brian Kelly. And now you got to compete in the, you know, in the gauntlet. That's Georgia and Alabama and sometimes Texas A&M. And, you know, who knows if Tennessee ever puts it together and gets their act together and gets good. You know, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Ole Miss, I mean, you know, those teams aren't great, but they, they can get you. Auburn. So I'm surprised, I mean, again, uh, maybe Notre Dame had no intention of paying Brian Kelly that much money in 10 years. I mean, he's not a young man, I don't think. He's got to be in his 60s, 10 years, a long time. Guaranteed, he, by the way, doesn't see the end of that contract. Guaranteed. I mean, please, are you kidding me? The SEC, where every team in the SEC thinks it's their birthright <laughs> to be able to, to, to be in the national championship game every year? I got news for you guys. Not everybody's Alabama. Sorry. I mean, but that, that is rampant all over college football. How about, how about TCU? Texas Christian University had the gall to fire Gary Patterson, who'd been there for 20 years and won a ton when he was there. A ton. TCU, who are you? You have no pedigree. You have no lineage. You have no history. You were nothing until Gary Patterson got there. Nothing. Give me a break. God, college football, I swear to God, it is just maddening. The, the sense of entitlement that alumni and boosters have at some of these schools. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. 
All right, finally, we'll wrap it up with a little NFL and actually a little NBA. Now, you know, let's go to the NBA. Let's go to my Knicks. So we talked about it earlier, made mention of Tom Thibodeau and what an amazing job he's done in completely changing everything with the Knicks. And Leon Rose, the, the president, right? By the way, to be fair, former agent and was a huge power broker agent in the NBA. Give him credit because he stayed out of the way. He's not doing interviews every two seconds like Phil Jackson. He's not tweeting. He's not. He stays out of the way. Let's Thibodeau handle everything. Thibodeau is the face of the franchise from a management perspective, right? And he's great at it. So give Leon Rose credit. He works behind the scenes. That's the way it should be. Thibodeau changed everything last year. Yes, I understand they looked terrible in the playoffs and got smoked by, by the Hawks. Okay, it happens. Look, beginning of the year, if anybody would have told you the Knicks were going to go 41-31 and 31 and be the fourth seed in the East, they would, you would have said they're nuts, and you would have signed up for it in a heartbeat. So, look, 20 games in, we're back to an 82-game schedule. So, what are we, Not you know, about a quarter of the way through. They're 11-9. and nine. They've had some maddening losses. Lost twice at home to a bad Orlando Magic team. They've had some good wins. Beat the Sixers. Beat the Bucks. But, you know, they're one of their supposed big offseason acquisitions, Kemba Walker, is, look, he looks, the guy looks shot. Great guy. He's had a really good NBA career. It was a nice story. He's a local kid, right, from the Bronx, Rice High School. Started UConn. Had some amazing games in the Big East Championship in the Garden. Everybody wanted it to work out. Wasn't working out. Can't guard anybody anymore. Can he give you a little juice here and there offensively? Yeah, can still bang some threes. Can still get in the paint from time to time. But he's just, first of all, he's always been on, you know, he's undersized. That's always been an issue, right? He's barely six feet tall. And, you know, he's, he's shot. His knees are shot. He can't move. And so... You know, he can't play back-to-backs. Derrick Rose is hurt. So Thibodeau put Der- uh, Alec Burks in the uh, in the lineup. Alec Burks in the lineup the other night to start a point guard. Burksy, who's one of my favorite Knicks, love him. Guy was tremendous for the Knicks last year. He's always been a solid player. His issues, he, always, he can't stay healthy, but he was healthy for the Knicks last year. Played really well. Makes big shots late in games. Solid at everything. He's not a star by any stretch, but he's good at everything. Can shoot the three. He's got a good mid-range game. Can handle the ball. Plays defense. He's 6'6". He can rebound. He's tenacious. So against, who did they beat the other night? I was surprised. Thought for sure it was going to be a loss. Uh, Somebody good. Was it Chicago? No. Oh, my goodness. Who did they beat the other night? Somebody good. Anyway, they beat somebody on the road the other night who is a good team. And uh, Burks played great. 23 points. Played great defense. So Thibodeau made the move uh, and announced that Burks will be starting and, and Walker is essentially out of the out of the rotation. Now, Again, that is one of the benefits of having a guy like Thibodeau. And this is why the Nets, the Mets need somebody like Buck Showalter. Because he can make a move like this. He explains it perfectly. Praises Kemba Walker for the person that he is and the player he was. 
Says, you know, these decisions are never easy, but I just got to do what I feel is best for the team, right? Doesn't kill Kemba Walker. So there's no drama. There's no soap opera, right? Because Thibodeau commands respect because he's got a track record. And the team, all you know where you stand with him. He has no motivation or agenda other than he wants to win. That's it. And if you do the things that he asks you to do, you will play. And if you don't, you will not. That's why I knew the second the Knicks hired Tom Thibodeau, Kevin Knox was never going to play for the Knicks ever again. And actually, Thibodeau did give him a little bit of, of, of a shot early in the year last year. And when he saw, you know, one of the several instances of him just floating around out there on the court and not putting forth the effort, that was that. Because Kevin Knox is not good enough offensively. It's not like he's some crazy talented scorer to get away with not giving max effort. So Thibodeau's having none of it. So everybody knows where they stand. You play hard, you defend, you share the ball, you play. You don't do those things, you don't. That's it. It's very simple. And it's not personal. He doesn't kill guys in the press, but he also doesn't sugarcoat stuff either. He's great. He is such a joy. So, Knicks play the Nets tonight. will be very interesting to see how that game goes. Um, we'll see what they end up doing with Walker. If they trade him, I mean, I don't know that there's much of a market for him. Maybe take back on another contract for, from, you know, a guy with a bad, you know, not a bad contract because the Knicks don't owe Walker that much money. I think it's two years, 18 mil. But, you know, you know, they may do a buyout with him at some point. Who knows? Or, guess what? It's a long season, you know. He may just sit there and bide his time and there may some somebody might get hurt or somebody's in foul trouble one game or, you know, COVID, who knows? And then Kemba's got to play and then maybe he plays well. And then, you know, maybe he gets back into the mix as sort of just a, you know, a gunner off the bench. You never know. It's a long season. All right, finally we wrap it up with the NFL. So usually... In, in, in past years, and I've been doing this for about 10 years now, um, I would start the show, particularly during the football season, with the Lions. But as the Lions are so bad and really, I mean, just kind of embarrassing, there, there's really no point. I mean, you know, I haven't done a show since they hired Dan Campbell. Uh, I was initially against the hire, Um he seems like he's in way over his head when it comes to X's and O's and strategy and in-game man- clock management, uh, all, all those things. He's taken over the play-calling duties the last couple of weeks from Anthony Lynn, the offensive coordinator, former head coach of the Chargers. Um, he's done a horrible job there. Now, look, the Lions are very talent-efficient. Bob Quinn in- inflicted so much damage on this franchise, equal to that of Matt Millen. He just wasn't here as long. Matt Millen was here for eight years. You know, Quinn was here for four, but the, the, the damage is, 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 is as, as equal. It's just not for as long. So I get it. I mean, the, the, you know, and they traded Stafford, right, because he wanted out, and that was certainly his prerogative. I, I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, Could have beaten that smug dick Aaron Rodgers the other day. Would have would helped me out. But unfortunately, uh, Green Bay has never been a good place for Matthew. Um, 
But there's just not much to talk about with the team. I mean, they're going to have the first pick in the draft. It's, of course, a year that, as of now, looks like there's not a, a consensus number one overall pick quarterback, which is what the Lions desperately need. They have some pieces here and there, some good young linemen on the offensive side. Um, they got nothing at receiver, nothing at running back. Don't Please don't talk to me about DeAndre Swift. The guy gets hurt all the time. I, I can't. I can't with him. Another Bob Quinn miss. Should have taken Jonathan Taylor, the stud from Indianapolis, and said he took Swift. Look, Swift's a talented player. He's not any good. That's the other problem with the Lions. They have, they're, they're, they're supposedly good players aren't good. TJ Hawkinson, the, the eighth pick in the draft three years ago, tight end. He's not good. He's talented. Puts up statistics. You know, he has four false starts this year all at home. Four. It's the most penalized tight end in the NFL between holdings and false starts. Sorry, that's not good. That's bad. So, I mean, look, they're a mess. I barely even watched the Thanksgiving Day game this year. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a pleasure, actually. It was a pleasure. I mean, honestly, it, it's 40, 42 years now of this horse shit with this team. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it, honestly, wake me up when, when you're mildly competitive. How about that? Otherwise, I, I, I pretty much lost most a lot of interest in the team. I really have. I mean, I, 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 since I moved, I don't have direct TV anymore, so I don't watch the games. I certainly am not going to waste my Sundays going to a sports bar watching that dreck. Um, so, you know, but speaking of Aaron, so, so I'm not, I haven't completely divorced the Lions, but I, I, I watch football now in a much different way, which is basically uh, I watch the Red Zone, and I flip back and forth, you know, and I'll watch whatever the 4 o'clock game was. Like, for instance, it was Green Bay and the Rams this week. Um, and uh, just real quick on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, can this guy – I used to at least have a, a begrudging respect for the guy. But, boys, he turned into a grade-A asshole. I mean – for, we could start in the offseason with his constant moaning and groaning about how, oh, the, the organization doesn't ask me for my input enough. Nee, nee, nee. And, oh, I'm so smart. I'm going to go go host Jeopardy. By the way, you stunk at it. By the way, you're not handsome and you're not an engaging personality. I don't know who this guy thinks he is. I guess because State Farm put him on the commercials. So he thinks he's some dynamic, engaging personality. He's ugly and he's got no personality. And then the whole vaccination stuff. With, with his cute little during the, the, in the summer, oh, I'm immunized. And then he wasn't. And then, but, of course, then the league rolls over, and they don't do anything. They don't penalize him. They don't penalize the Packers. They're a joke. It's embarrassing. The league is so in Green Bay's back pocket or vice versa. It's an embarrassment. They don't even pretend. The calls that the Packers get in these games is ridiculous. There was a play the other day in the Rams game where – I think it was like, you know, it was clearly a, a, a catch um, by somebody on the Rams and the ball came loose. And Matt LaFleur, the Packers coach, he challenged it anyway just because he knows, because he's arrogant enough, because he knows you know, they, they may just change the rules or they just may give us that call anyway. I mean, it's a joke what goes on with that team. They're on the third string left tackle. I'd say for every other team in the NFL, that's a recipe for disaster. Somehow for the Packers, it's fine. Don't even miss supposed star David Bakhtiari at all. Gee, I wonder why. Maybe because the guy's allowed to hold on every play. There were several times in that game against the Rams where it looked like he definitely uh, got an early start. And, of course, no flag was ever thrown. It's embarrassing what goes on with that team. 
and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that game against the Cardinals a few weeks back, where he's literally openly lobbying for a roughing the passer call as the play is happening because he's about to get tackled by a defensive lineman for the Cardinals. I mean, are you kidding me? The arrogance is incredible, and the league ought to be ashamed of itself. The favored nation status that that team gets is a joke. And now, of course, I mean, everything bad for me is happening this year in the NFL, right? Packers and Rodgers supposedly are good. The Patriots are supposedly good. Although, could somebody please point out that, yes, they beat the Titans. The Titans are no Derrick Henry um, and uh, no um, A.J. Brown. Their best receiver, their best running back, both out. I think that might, might hurt them a little bit. Yeah, I'd say so. You know, Tampa Bay and Tommy keep rolling. Got dumb lucky to beat the Colts this week. Colts gifted them that game. Um, you know, it's one of these years where a team will look great one week, like Cincinnati, right? And then they'll look awful the next. I mean, Cincinnati clobbered Pittsburgh this week. Pittsburgh's not that good anymore, but still. But you know, and then and then they'd had a big win against who was it, the Ravens earlier in the year, and then they went and lost to the Jets and Mike White. You know, I mean, it's 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 a weird year. There's no real dominant team out there. I mean, the Chiefs looked awful for a while. Now they sort of have righted the ship a little bit. You know, as soon as you do, as soon as you're ready to give up on the Raiders, they beat Dallas. As soon as everybody's ready to crown Dallas, they lose a couple of games in a row in bad in bad bad fashion. Um. There's no real great team right now in the league, but guess what? There's a lot of games left, right? We got seven weeks left because there's 17 games. So we shall see. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Jamal About Sports. Catch us anywhere you get your uh, podcasts, iTunes. You can go to SoundCloud as well, uh, Spotify, any of those platforms. Check us out. As always, thanks for listening. Peace out.